All right, well, uh, in Mark chapter 5, this is where we pick up the story. This is Jesus and his disciples. They are now doing a lot of different kinds of ministry by now. And people have heard about Jesus. They've seen Jesus do some incredible things, uh, listen to his teaching. And now they're in this place. They have left Decapolis, got on the boat to a, a different region, more of a Jewish region where there are synagogues in that area. And, and large crowds are gathering once again, as, as we have just seen in Mark chapter 5. What you're going to probably um, notice about the crowds here in, in Mark chapter 5 is that because a lot of them have seen Jesus do some incredible miracles, uh, not all of them are there just to take sermon notes or just to hear some teaching. A lot of them are there because they've heard reports about Jesus. They've heard that he would you know, be able to do supernatural things, things that are we would consider miracles and, and healings and, and things like that. And so there are people there. you got to imagine 2,000 years ago, medicine wasn't the same as it is today in the, in the Western world. And so you probably could imagine there's a lot of broken, uh, physically ill people that are looking to have some kind of touch or encounter with God. And so they hear about Jesus and they find out that this is probably the, their chance to, to experience some healing. And so you got these large crowds, and in that crowd was uh, one guy, his name is Jairus. And Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's, he's not your ordinary guy in the crowd, and uh, he, might, he might be a man of great influence. He was a, a synagogue leader, which kind of means like, you know, maybe a president or a dean of a seminary uh, in our day. And so uh, Jairus comes to Jesus, and he falls Uh, to his feet and so he's like on his knees before Jesus and it's not so much that he's got an illness but his 12 year old daughter little daughter girl is dying at home and he's desperate for uh, God to touch her and and heal her from her sickness and this could be life and death situation and so he falls at the feet of Jesus pleading Jesus would you come to my house would you lay your hands on my daughter because I believe that you can heal her And in this moment, there's this kind of display of this faith in Jesus. Jesus, if you just come, if you just lay your hand on her, then she she will be well. And Jesus, out of his love and his compassion, you know, and uh, he decides to go. He decides to go with Jairus. And so they're walking to Jairus' home. Now, in this story, in this passage that we read today uh, for us, we see that it's not just one person that gets healed, but it's two people. And so one is Jairus' daughter who is uh, struggling uh, and, and on her deathbed, you know, and she eventually finds healing. But, then, but another one is a, is, a, is a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And, and Jesus doesn't have an appointment with this woman. There wasn't anything on the schedule. The only thing that we know is that Jairus has requested Jesus to come to his house because if he's there and lays hands on, my, on his daughter, she will be made well. He agrees to go. And so on Jesus' way to Jairus' house to lay his hand and touch this 12-year-old girl, somebody else touches him. On his way to touch this 12-year-old dying girl, someone else Touches him. Again, it's not on the schedule. There, there, there's, if you were Jairus, you're probably thinking, this is not good. This is not good. This is interruption. You might even call it a delay. For the reason being, if you have a medical condition and it's urgent, time is of the essence. Time is significant, right? And um, I hate to, like, refer to my pinky, 
But, uh, you know, many of you guys know I broke my pinky on, on Labor Day, week, or Labor Day uh, almost two months ago now. And uh, I, I fell and, I, you, know, I, you know, I knew that something was wrong with my, my, my finger. And so we went to the ER. The first ER we went to was, was actually closed because of the holiday. I'm like, what kind of hospital is this, right? And so we actually had to find a, get on a, another Uber. And, and so, like, as we're, like, trying to find even, like, a hospital that's open, uh, over time, every 30 minutes, I would find more and more pain Sometimes pain in places that I didn't, I didn't have pain like 30 minutes before. You know, it was just in one location and then like all of a sudden there was pain in my elbow and pain in my, my, uh, the palm of my hand. And just over time I just felt more and more pain. And finally so we got to this ER that was open and they're just packed. It's like 20 people in there. And you guys know how ER works. It's, you know, it's not like a quick, fast, you know, um, check in, check out kind of thing. You check in and it's just like just waiting, waiting, and I'm waiting there, and I know it's just my pinky, but I, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think of ways to, to see the doctor sooner. I, I was sitting down thinking to myself, like, what can I do or what can I say to get myself checked in sooner than later? Because I, I, don't, I don't know if this pain is good for me. I need treatment now. I need help now, right? And I know I sound like a baby. I've never broken anything, like, before. I'm 38 years old. So I just, I, and then I broke like three parts. So I saved it all for one, you know, one accident. But uh, I was waiting and I thought, man, you know, I'm pretty sure there's like other people that I got more serious things. But I wonder how I can see the doctor faster, right? And, and I, I, the thought came to mind, I don't know if it's true, but, and I don't even know where I heard it. But I heard that uh, if, you, if you kind of, if you pretend like you have heart issues or like you can't breathe, if you got chest pain, is that true? Then, then somehow they'll, they'll consider like a real emergency and they'll t- take you in. So I thought maybe I'll do that. Maybe, maybe I'll go back and be like, I, I can't breathe, you know. But then it's like too late because I already checked in with a pinky issue. And so it just kind of is too obvious. And so I just waited around. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, as I was reading this passage, I thought, you know, this is not just a pinky. It's not a broken finger. This is a girl dying on her, uh, in her own house. You got a father, seems like a loving father, who has to, who has to watch his own daughter suffer. And, and Jesus has agreed to go, but Jesus, it doesn't seem like you're in a hurry. You know what I mean? Uh, and because what happens is there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, comes and, and wants to get close to Jesus and this woman has been bleeding for 12 years, and, and there's something I think we have to think about here, the implications of what kind of life would that be for this woman who had a 12-year condition of, of hemorrhage and, and bleeding. It wasn't just physical, I would, I would argue. The Bible even says that she spent all of her money going from one doctor to the next doctor, and she had nothing left. I think she was not only physically um, hurting, I think financially she was empty, nothing left to give. I think she was even probably, it came with a lot of discouragement because um, the Bible seems to imply that, you know, it's, th- these were probably not doctors and um, uh, of, of integrity. I think there were some charlatans in, in the in that area that, you know, maybe pretended to be this incredible healer. And if you just offer me this sum of money, I can help you kind of thing. And she would put, the, put her trust and maybe, uh, you know, give whatever she had just, to, just for the hope that maybe she would be better. And, but, but person after person she went to, doctor after doctor she went to, nothing happened. And she only found herself broke. And can you imagine the discouragement that would continually build up over time? 
if you ask me, I would think that the more doctors that have failed you, the, the less hope you would have. And so the next time you hear, like, hey, if you just go to that person, you'll be okay. That, I think that you would just become more dull, more discouraged, and without hope. She's physically not well. She's financially empty. Socially, can you imagine what kind of a social life she would have had as someone who's been bleeding for 12 years? My guess is that she's probably not the most popular woman or invited to everything. And she's probably not the center of attention amongst her friends. I would assume that she's probably been marginalized and outcasted many times because of her physical condition. Not only that, can you think of what her spiritual life must have been like? Can she even enter worship? Can she even enter the synagogue or the temple? You know, 2,000 years ago in her day, if you had her condition, according to some of the strict Old Testament laws that were not fully fleshed out, they, they restricted people like her from entering the synagogue. They would say, I'm sorry, you cannot enter in. Because her bleeding would, would give her this image that, she, that somehow she was unclean and un unwanted before God. So she wasn't even allowed to worship. So this physical condition was much more than just physical, right? It's, it's in kind of an all-of-life encompassing tragedy that she's having to deal with for 12 years of her life. She had nothing going right for her. She probably would say that she's had a miserable life. This woman who probably in her view may, may feel like I have nothing going for me. I have nothing to offer society. I seem to just be a burden to people. I love what Jesus wants to point out in her though. What Jesus does with her and what the scriptures are pointing us to today is that she may not feel like she has anything to offer financially or spiritually or physically or, or, or just to society. She, she may not feel like she has anything going right. But what the scriptures are telling us is that she did have one thing. And this one thing is an important thing. It's called faith. The Bible says that she had faith. How do you have faith? How does this woman have faith? When you've been going through 12 years of disappointment, how do you have faith in another? How? How do you still have hope? How, how are you still able to, to, even, to even move through a crowd and believe that you can be better? This woman had faith, and the Bible says that, we know that she had faith because the scripture says that when she heard the reports about Jesus, when she heard the reports about Jesus, the Bible says that she actually presses through the crowd. She moves through the crowd. I don't think that was an easy thing for her to do. I don't think the Bible is suggesting, you know, you might say, well, maybe she's like a really ambitious woman. You know, she's kind of, she's a go-getter. She's one of those that she's not going to let anything stop her. And when I read the Bible, I don't see that. I don't see a woman who's, who's saying, you know what, I'm going to get in front of Jesus. I'm going to make him touch me. I'm going to make him pray for me. I'm going to be in front of his face and I'm going to make him know that I'm there. I don't see that. When we read the scriptures later, it says that she came with fear and trembling so much so that I think what she did was, she's like, I don't, I mean, people might make fun of me. People might reject me again. I'm, I'm going to look stupid again. People are going to shove me out of the way. I, I'm going to inconvenience Jesus. I don't even know if he's going to like this. He's probably busy. He's probably in high demand, which he was. 
But she's like, you know what, I, I don't know, but I just have faith that Jesus can heal me. If I can just, I don't want to bother him, I don't want to get in front of him. If I can just touch his garment, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be well. So she presses through the crowd and she gets to, she gets to the, the back of Jesus and, you know, his, his garments, or they call it tassels, kind of, you know, walking behind him. And he's, Jesus is now, you, now you got to understand this story here. Jesus is, has not met this woman, not yet. He, he's on his way with Jairus to Jairus' house because Jesus has just promised Jairus, I'm going to go and lay my hands on your daughter. She will be made well, right? And yet here's a woman who's going to touch Jesus. And as she touches Jesus... The scripture says that uh, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. That's an incredible story. She was healed of her disease just by touching the garment of Jesus. But what's fascinating is not just the healing, but in verse 30 it says, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around and asked the question, who touched my garments? Now Jesus had asked a lot of spiritual questions in his day. You could even Google like Bible verses, how many times does Jesus ask questions? He asked a lot of questions throughout scripture. A lot of profound, deep, spiritual questions. Who do people say that I am? That's an important one, right? But <laughs> the question he had, the profound question here is, who touched my clothes? Who touched me? Now you got to imagine, it's not like Jesus has all the time in the world. Or at least for Jairus, right? Because Jairus is in a hurry. His daughter's dying. This, this girl needs Jesus as soon as possible. If you and I, if we ever get impatient or anxious about things, even when we believe God can come and show up and, 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 do, and do, do awesome things, do we not get impatient and anxious because we think and we want God to do it in a certain time? You guys know what I'm talking about? I believe God could do that, but it has to be this year. You know what I mean? Like, I, I believe God could do incredible things in my life, but it's got to be like within this year, Right? And so Jesus doesn't have a lot of time, at least to those that are associated with, with Jairus, and yet he has the audacity to pause in that moment and say, who touched my clothes? you got to understand there's something significant going on here, something that is so important that while someone else's daughter is dying, Jesus takes a moment to ask people, who touched my clothes? And it's not because he cares so much about his clothes. He does care about something, but it was in his clothes. He says, who touched my clothes? And it's because he felt power um, leave from him. And this woman, then this is, this is where the Bible says that she came with fear and trembling. She's probably thinking, oh, Jesus is going to scold me. He's not going to lie. I knew it. Right? I'm bothering him again. Like, oh, I, sh I should have just stayed where I was. And she comes with fear and trembling and she decides to just tell him the whole truth. And, and what she found is that instead of Jesus scolding her, Jesus loved her. And this is what Jesus says to her. She, he, doesn't say, he doesn't say, woman, don't you see that I'm busy? Woman, you know, you got to take a number. I'm beyond the waiting list. She sa he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Jesus loved her. Daughter, your faith has made 
you well. What Jesus thought was so important to point out amongst the crowd was this thing called faith. St. Augustine, in, 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 for this passage, he has this quote. He says, few are they, few are they who f- by faith touch him. Multitudes are they who throng about him. What he's saying is that it's easy for the multitude to throng and to gather around him, but few are they who by faith touch him. You see, this faith caused her to move. Faith, you see, you know what faith is when you see yourself drawing to Jesus. That when I think about what kind of um, person would still have faith when 12 years of your life you've been disappointed. And I think to myself, humanly speaking, there's nothing in her, in her own flesh, in her own strength, in her own will that would, that would be reasonable enough to say, I have faith in Jesus. Everything would point the other way. Everything would point to no hope, no faith, no reason to move through the crowds. And so when I see this woman who has faith, what I think about is God's amazing grace, this gift of God, the work of the Spirit, that God sees this woman and sees her suffering and gives her faith when Jesus was there. And so she comes and touches the garment. She's healed. Jesus turns around, who touched me? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. The question is faith in what? Or faith in who? Because if Jesus didn't stop in that moment and he and this woman just got healed and he just continued to walk off, which he could have done, you know how easy it is to misinterpret what just happened there? You know how easy it would be for that woman to go home and say, man, I think there was something in his clothing. I think there was something about that garment. If we can just get some of that garment, if we can just buy that piece of clothing. You know, and sadly enough, maybe not so much in the Western world, but you know there's parts of the world even now where they're, they're selling stuff in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, and say, if you just have this, you will be healed. You guys know this? If you just buy this, you can be healed. And, and like Jesus just becomes this product. And, and, and so... This woman could have easily done that or she could have went uh, home or those that, that saw her being healed could have, could have thought this. They could have thought, that's how miracles must work. If I'm ambitious enough, are you with me? If, if I can just be a bit more radical, if I can just be more expressive, if I can just be uh, the one who prays more than other people in the crowd, if I can be the one who can always be at church more than everybody else, if I can be the one that sacrifices more than everybody else, if I can be the one that would tithe more than everybody else, if I can be the one that knows the scriptures more than other people, then, then that, must, that must allow me to be rewarded. That's how I get experience. That's how I get what I want from God. But what Jesus does, he says, daughter, he doesn't say your action or your work has made you well. In other words, it wasn't about what she did. It was about who she believed. Sometimes we get into this kind of this religious mindset and think, if I can just do more for God, then surely God would bless me. You ever been there before? If I can just 
cut that out and commit more to God. Surely he would bless me. You ever been there before? You know, if I just pray more, of course he's going to hear me. And what Jesus is saying is, woman, it's not, daughter, it is not your doing that made you well. It is not your spiritual motivation or your spiritual works of righteousness. It wasn't that you were the only one willing to go through the crowds. It wasn't your courageous, fearless act, which it wasn't even fearless. She was full of fear. What Jesus is trying to point out, again, is not, it's not what you did, but it's who you believed in. Your daughter, my daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. There's something Jesus is teaching about faith here to put her, her, uh, her faith in Jesus, not her, not her faith in the clothing, not her faith in that garment, not her faith in the tassels, not her faith in her courageous acts, not her faith in what she can do, not her faith in moving through the crowds, not her ability to get in front of Jesus or beside Jesus, but her faith, her faith. It wasn't even the amount of her faith, it was the object of her faith. It was Jesus. It was who she believed in that made her well. Because she came to Jesus weak. She came to Jesus weak. Jesus came from heaven to earth, fully man but fully God. He came with all the power, all dominion, all authority. It's even there in the early chapters of Mark. People were like, where does he get that authority? Jesus was one who was full of power. Amen? And yet when she touched his garment, power left him. And that's what made him turn around. Power left him. You know, in that moment, I think we see a picture, a glimpse of the gospel. You know what's happening in that moment? I don't want you to miss this. This is what's happening. What's happening. In that moment, the one who had power became weak. So that the weak can become strong. In that moment, as, as she had faith in Jesus, had faith in the person of Jesus, it wasn't that power came from the garment. Power came from Jesus. Are you with me? And as she touched the garment, the one who had power, the, the Bible says power left him. And in that moment, he became weaker so that those, that one who was truly weak can be made strong. And I would say that this is actually a glimpse of what Christ would ultimately do, what he actually came to fulfill on the cross. That what he's showing here in this glimpse, that when power left him so that the one who was weak can be made strong, what he's trying to show us is that that's why he came. That he's going to die on the cross and on Mount Calvary, the one who was, has all power, all dominion, all authority, the one who was there in Genesis chapter 1, he will go on the cross and he who has power will be made weak so that those who are weak can be made strong. He will be broken so that those who are broken can be whole and he will die so that those who deserve death can actually live. That's the gospel. He stops this woman, say, who touched my clothes? Because he doesn't want the people to miss out on the good news of Christ. That he's here so that not to gain more power. He's here to make himself weak so that those who are weak can be made whole. And now this woman is, is healed and 
if she's physically healed, she can now enter the synagogue. She can now go back to society. So it wasn't just the physical recovery, it was spiritually, she was reconciled, she was socially restored. And Jesus says, Woman, uh, daughter, go, go in peace. And, and peace is not saying, you know, don't get into fights, anti-violence. When he says go in peace, it's, it's, the, it's the shalom of God. It's go and be whole, go back and be the image bearer of God that he has called you to be. Be a, a witness and a testimony of God. He's saying go in peace. She's now been fully restored. That's what the gospel does. The gospel doesn't just impact us in one aspect of life. The gospel transforms all of life. And so she's now on her way, fully restored. So that was just one healing. But remember, today's passage has two healings. One is this a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. She's now just been, she's now recovering. Now you got to kind of switch her mindset and remember the people that are with Jairus doesn't even know who this woman is. And she, they're probably thinking this woman has just caused an incredible delay. Maybe they see her as a problem, a problem to Jairus' daughter. In fact, after or while Jesus is talking to this woman who's been bleeding and she's been healed, what happens is there, there are men from Jairus' house and they, they were there to give a report. And this report wasn't good news. It was bad news. It was news that they, they had told Jairus. They said, Jairus, your daughter has died. Your daughter has died. And this is what they say in Mark 5, verse 35. Why trouble? This is, they refer to Jesus as a teacher. Okay, these are synagogue people. Meaning they don't fully understand who Jesus is and why he came. They see him as a teacher. They don't see him as Lord. They don't see him as Messiah. They say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? In other words, why do we need Jesus any more? And then verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. If you were Jairus, would your response be like, okay, if you were Jairus and your daughter has just died, and your daughter has died when Jesus has promised to heal her, and your daughter has died because Jesus has promised to heal her, and yet he stops in the middle of the street to find out who touched his garment, would you not be a little bit mad and upset and frustrated and confused? Like, what is Jesus on? <laughs> what is going on here? Why is he stopping to find out who touched his clothes? Why is he not in a hurry? Why is he not in a rush? I think Jesus is trying to teach us, teach Jairus, that even now you can trust me. You know, what? one of the things I love about Jesus in this story is that um, everybody else is in panic except for Jesus. Everybody else is impatient except for Jesus. Though everybody, Jairus' men, they have all lost faith except Jesus. And, and the, these men who were with Jairus, they said, why do we need Jesus anymore? He, like, she, she's gone. Your, your daughter is dead. And the, the thing about that is, is that even though these men that were with Jairus, even though they've given up on Jesus, Jesus doesn't give up on them. He's made a promise. And he has promised he will fulfill. Either he's just really lost and doesn't have a clue what he's doing, or he's actually the Lord not just over sickness, but he must be Lord even over life and death. That even in this moment, he's not in a rush. 
even in this moment, he's not panicking. Jesus says to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. That word believe is the same word, um, faith, that he spoke over the bleeding woman and saying, daughter, your faith has made you well. Your pistis in the Greek, your faith has made you well. What Jesus is in this moment saying to Jairus is, do not fear, but keep with your pistis. Keep with your faith. In other words, this particular Greek word is the verb uh, tense of the, of the noun faith. What he's saying is a present continual tense. In other words, what Jesus is saying to Jairus is, Jairus, you believed in me before. When you first asked me to come over to your house, you seemed to have faith. You believed in me. What Jesus is now asking of Jairus is, is don't have the kind of faith that jumps from one moment and fades in another. What he's saying is, have the kind of faith that continues. It's an enduring faith. It's a continual faith. It's a persevering faith. Does this this make sense? He's saying keep on believing. What he's saying is, he's saying the same Jesus you asked me, you know, 10 minutes ago is the same Jesus now. What he's saying is I have not changed. What he's saying is, did you have faith in me? Or did you have faith in something else? saying, have faith in me. What he's saying is, you can still trust me. You ever been there where you had a situation in life, it could have been a physical thing, it could have been a relational thing, circumstance, maybe a thing at work, lost your job, and you're praying to God, and you know, in that moment, you feel like God is listening, you feel like, man, things are going to look up, and God's going to answer my prayer, and you ever been in a life moment where you just feel like God is somehow delaying that process? You ever got impatient, maybe even with God, and you're wondering, God, are you going to ever get to this thing? You ever been there? You ever felt like God has forgotten you? And you ever felt like Jairus, like, uh, God, you, you promised to be here with me, and yet I see you just working over there? You ever, you ever do that? Or, you know, God, you promised to bless our church, but then it seems like only that church is being blessed. And, and you ever been in that moment where you feel like, man, like, what timing is God on? And Jesus here, what he's trying to teach us is that, is that God is still in the midst of the delay. You see, we, we read in Mark chapter 4, Jesus in the storm, which teaches us that God is in the storm, in the storms of life. In this story, we see that God is in the delays of life. When we feel like things are not working out according to our time and our plan, It's not because God is not with you. It's not because God has forgotten you. It's because God stands above time. And God is, he has a plan. And he says to Jairus, Jairus, do not fear, but keep believing. The question I would ask is, how do we do that, Jesus? How do we keep believing? Here's what I would say to you, and here's what I would say to myself. It's this, that God knows what we don't. God knows what we don't. That's why I can have faith. That's why I can have faith that continues to have faith, continue to believe, to to persevere, to endure, because God is not lost. God doesn't panic. God is not in a rush. God is not in a hurry. God is not anxious. Jesus is not like that. I may be, but he is not. Jesus knows what we don't. Amen? Jesus knows what we don't.
Charles Spurgeon, he says, to trust God in the light, he says, that's nothing. But to trust him in the dark, that's faith. To trust God when things are well and going good, he says, that's nothing. But to trust God when things are dark, that's faith. Chuck Swindoll says, we must cease striving and trust God to provide what he thinks is best and in whatever time he chooses to make it available. But this kind of trusting doesn't come naturally. It's a spiritual crisis of the will in which we must choose to exercise faith. Faith. Time is a test of trust. You know the question for Jairus is not, Jairus, did you believe in Jesus? The question for him is, do you still believe in Jesus? The question for us is not, did we once believe? The question is now, do we still believe in Jesus? To know that he knows what we don't. This is an issue um, of not only God's power, but of God's plan. What Mark 5 is trying to teach us is about faith, about faith in Jesus, who holds both power and the plan. Are you with me? And so what this is trying to teach us, if the bleeding woman was about God's power, Jairus' daughter is about trusting God's plan. To have faith is to not only just believe God's power, but to have faith is to trust God's plan. And to trust that his plan is good and his plan is perfect and his plan is better. Have you ever gave God a plan? Have you ever said, God, here's my three-year plan for you. Here's what I want to do for you this year. And I just want to suggest that whatever plan it was, and it might have been a really good plan, I want to say that Jesus and his plan is always better. Here's, here's, here's why and how I know that. Because for Jairus, he probably went to Jesus and said, Jesus, you can heal my daughter. And if he did, what an incredible testimony that would have been. He's a synagogue leader. They probably would have gone up to the stage on, on, on that next Sunday service. Jairus as a synagogue leader would have come up and said, I want to bring my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter up and she's going to give a testimony of how she was sick and dying on her bed and Jesus came along and touched me. What an incredible testimony of healing that would have been. But Jesus had a different plan. See, Jairus' plan was a healing. Jesus' plan was a resurrection. Jesus wanted to teach Jairus that I, I don't only... I, I'm not here just to heal sickness. I'm here to bring people from death to life. Jesus' plan is always better. There was something in this passage that I found quite interesting. Do you guys, do you guys remember how old um, the, the scripture actually puts this the specific thing in for both those who have been healed. For the, for the daughter, the little girl, Jairus' daughter, do you guys remember how old she was? If you've been listening to the message. She's 12 years old. And Mark, the author of this gospel, writes that out. She was 12 years of age. Do you guys remember how, how many years this woman has been bleeding the other woman who was healed? 12 years. And you ever wonder, why, why, why is that even in there? Why is that in the, 12 years this woman was bleeding? 12 years old was this girl. You ever wonder, like, why doesn't Jesus just say, like, she's been bleeding for a long time? 
Because I'm like, I don't need to know, right, how many years. Like, that wouldn't have really changed the story that much for me. Like, if it was nine. You know what I mean? Verse 12. And, like, why do, I need, why do I need to know this girl was 12 years old? Like, why can't the Bible just say she was, like, a young teenager, junior in junior high school or something? Why does Mark take the time to say she was bleeding for 12 years and then this girl was 12 years of age? Here's why. Because this girl, 12 years old, her father was a synagogue leader, which means for 12 years she grew up in the synagogue, probably religious, probably felt like she had right standing with God probably felt like my dad did all the right things. I, I might even deserve a healing. But on the flip side, here's a girl who's been bleeding for 12 years. While one for 12 years has grown up in the synagogue, here's one for 12 years was never allowed to go in. What Jesus does in this story is to say that healing does not depend, and, and this, this miracle did not depend on your right standing with me. It, it wasn't based on you being religious or your dad doing all the right things in church and the synagogue. What he's saying is I've come. I've come for those who feel like they're close and those who feel like they're far. I've come for both Jews and Gentile. I've come for those who have grown up in the church and those who have never been. Are you with me? And Jesus says, I've come for both. Salvation is for both Jews and Gentiles. It's not about your works, Jairus. You didn't earn this. Your daughter didn't earn this. And, and, and to you, it wasn't your courageous act. It wasn't how awesome you were going through the crowds that healed you. Your faith has healed you. And Jairus, do not fear. But have faith. Because I know what you don't. See, with God, he has power, but he also has a plan. And his plan is always better. Would you bow your heads with me?